Well, good morning, and I want to say welcome again to worship with Dunwoody UMC. My name is Matt Stone, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm especially excited that you've joined us for worship today, because today is one of my favorite days in the whole year, because it is third grade Bible Sunday. And so you've already seen some of that. I'm excited about that for a couple reasons. The first reason I'm excited about that, frankly, is it is one of the best illustrations of what it means for us as a church to invest in the next generation. We are literally handing the word of God to a new generation of disciples. And so if you ever wonder whether it matters that you are involved in Dunwoody UMC, look no further than third grade Bible Sunday. The the other reason that I love this day is because I preach out of my third grade Bible. And uh, I I will say that on, uh, let's see, September 23rd of 1990. So my goodness, coming up on 30 years ago, uh, I received a Bible that did not mean so much to me then. But as I grew in faith and came to understand who I was as a child of God, this gift of my church in Tyler, Texas, became one of the most important gifts that I had ever received. And so I preach out of that every Sunday because it is so special to me and holds so much value and meaning. So today is really one of my favorite days. So I thought that, that maybe since we're giving out our third grade Bibles this, uh, today, I thought maybe today would be a good day to, to break those Bibles in. Uh, if you are a third grader or or if maybe you've got a Bible that's been sitting on a shelf for a little bit too long, maybe today is a good opportunity to break in that Bible or or break it open for the first time in a while. And we're going to do that by looking at one of Jesus's parables, one of the parables from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, And and Phil looked at a parable of Jesus from Matthew chapter 18 last week. This week, we're going to fast forward two chapters to Matthew chapter 20 and look at the very next parable that Jesus tells. But uh, before we do that, uh, I want to say a couple words about why Jesus is telling this story. Remember, Jesus is not in the habit of telling stories out of the blue. He's not in the habit of telling stories just with no context and with no connection to what's happening around him. And that's true for this this parable that we're going to look at today. Uh, What happened leading up to this is that a young man came to Jesus and he said, look, What good deed do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, uh, you know what you need to do. Follow the commandments. And this man says, well, okay, I've done all that. What else do I need to do? And Jesus kind of looks him up and down and he says, sell everything that you have and follow me. And the man, of course, walks away. If you haven't uh, read that passage, if you're not familiar with that, I want to encourage you to go back to Matthew chapter 19 and read that. It's a fascinating story. But a little while later, uh, something happens that, uh, that just gets me every time. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, so, uh, so we sold everything that we had and we left everything behind to follow you. So uh, what do we get? Right? He's looking for what kind of reward do we get? Because we, we did it right. That's what Peter says. We did it right, so what do we get? And Jesus, of course, is gracious because, you know, he's Jesus. And he says, look, you're, you're going to sit beside me on the throne and you're going to have eternal life. But then he says, and this is the very last verse of Matthew chapter 19. Then Jesus says, but the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And it's almost as though Jesus is saying to Peter, look, just because you are in close proximity to me, that doesn't give you license to gloat. Or worse, it doesn't give you license to go and judge. 
And then he tells the parable. The parable is almost like double clicking on this statement at the end of chapter 19. So the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus then says, let me tell you a story about what that means. And this story begins in the very first verse of Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus says, look, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a vineyard owner, a a man who owned a vineyard. And he goes out really early in the morning to hire some laborers. And he agrees with them to pay them the usual daily wage, which is called a denarius. And so he brings them back to the vineyard to begin uh, begin working in that vineyard. And there are two levels, really, of familiarity in this part of the story as the parable begins. There's two levels of familiarity for people to whom Jesus was talking. The first is that this is a common scene out of daily life, that there are, daily, there are day laborers who are constantly dependent on that day's work, on somebody coming along and saying, I need you to come work for me. And they would agree to pay them a denarius in exchange for a full day's work. And you can think of a full day's work more or less as 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's about a 12-hour day. And that denarius is what provided for that family. And so they were completely and utterly dependent on somebody hiring them for that day. That was a a, a part of daily life then. And really, it's still a part of our life now. If you go to certain parts of Dunwoody, you can still see day laborers gathered waiting for somebody to come along and hire them for that day, which would provide for them and for their family for that day. But the second level of familiarity as this parable begins has to do with a classic biblical image. Anytime we hear about a vineyard, a vineyard owner and laborers in the vineyard, we ought to hear echoes of Old Testament passages and either other, even other teachings of Jesus because this is a classic biblical image for Israel. Right? Time and again, especially in Isaiah, if you want to go back and look in Isaiah, some great images of this. Israel is presented as a vineyard and God is presented as the, the owner of that vineyard. And so we know from the beginning that we need to look at this parable through this lens that this is a story about God and about God's people. So the story goes on and Jesus says that the vineyard owner, he goes back to that market. He goes back to that street corner, wherever the day laborers normally gather. He goes back at 9 a.m. and agrees with those workers to pay them a fair wage. We don't know exactly how much it is. And he goes back at noon and he he agrees to pay them a wage and he brings them back to the vineyard. And he goes back out at three and he says, I'll pay you a wage. And and he brings them back to the vineyard. We don't know how much he's going to pay them. It's probably some percentage of a denarius, depending on how long they work. We don't really know. But then in verse six, the story, I don't want to say it comes off the rails, but it starts to take a turn. I want you to listen. This is Matthew chapter 20, verse six, about five o'clock. Okay, so, so the vineyard owner has gone out at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. The workday ends at 6 p.m., but he goes back out at 5 o'clock. At about 5 o'clock, the vineyard owner goes out, and he found others standing around, and he said to them, well, why are you standing here idle all day? Right, what, what is the vineyard owner even doing there is my question. If he's going out at five o'clock, let's say it takes them 15 minutes to walk back to the vineyard. We're only talking about 45 minutes worth of work. And by the way, these guys have been standing there all day. Every person has passed them up. 
Every person who wanted to hire day laborers that day has passed these guys up. They're the ones that are still standing on that corner. Can you imagine how humiliating that must have been? So what are the workers even doing there? The day is over. It's time for them to go home and be humiliated because they were not hired and they cannot provide for their family. But for some reason, the vineyard owner goes back at five o'clock and he says, what are you doing here still? Listen to how these workers, this last group, responds. They said to him, because no one has hired us. And so the vineyard owner says to them, will you also go to the vineyard? He doesn't promise to pay him. He just invites them to come back to the vineyard. And as the story goes on, we hear that, that this landowner, this vineyard owner, says to his manager, okay, it, it's time to pay everybody. The day is over. It's time to pay everybody. Call everybody together and pay the last group first and pay the first group last. And we don't really know what that's about right now. But what we ought to begin hearing is what Jesus started with, which is the first should be last and the last should be first. We know something is going on here, but we don't know exactly what. And what we hear is that the the landowner, the vineyard owner, pays the last group of workers who worked tops 45 minutes, pays them a whole denarius, a whole day's worth of wages. I mean, it's an incredible moment, right? Incredible generosity. He didn't have to pay them anything. That could have been a tryout for tomorrow's work. He didn't have to pay them anything, but he pays them a whole denarius. A striking image of generosity. But what I think is maybe even more interesting is the anticipation that it begins to generate. Because think about it, if you're in the first group of workers and you see that these guys who came and worked for 45 minutes get a whole denarius, then you start to lick your chops because you know what's coming. You know, if they got a whole day's worth of wages, then what are you going to get? Maybe, maybe two days worth of wages? Well, wait a minute. They worked about one twelfth as long. They worked one hour. We worked 12 hours. Are we going to get 12 denarius? Are we going to get 12 days worth of wages? You can feel that anticipation begin to rise, but... Listen to what happens next. Now, when the first group came to be paid, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage, the denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner because of course they did. You know that's not fair. I know that's not fair. They knew that was not fair. What do you mean you gave us the same as these guys? We've been here all day is what they said. Of course they were surprised by that. And so of course they begin grumbling because they're human. It's what we do. When something is unfair, we complain about it. If you have children or if you've been around children or ever seen a child, you know this is what they do. When we see something that's unfair, we start complaining and that's what they do. They start complaining against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us. These guys worked one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Listen carefully to what they said, because this is the heart of the offense you think we're the same? You you think they're worth as much as I'm worth? That's what these workers are saying. They didn't earn that denarius. 
They don't deserve that Daenerys. We've been working harder. We've been working longer. We've been working better. We deserve more than what they get. Now, now is when you need to buckle up because now it's time for the landowner to respond. And remember, anytime you have an image of a vineyard and a landowner and workers in that vineyard, we're talking about an image of who God is and an image of who Israel, who God's people are. Buckle up because this is the landowner's response. This is in um, Matthew chapter 20, verse 13, if you're following along. But he replied to one of them, And I like this image because I like to think that as Jesus is telling this parable, when he says he replied to one of them, he looks over at Peter. He replied to one of them, Peter. And he says this, friend. And let me me just stop one more time. When he says friend, this is not a term of affection. When he says friend, he's saying, hey, you with the loud mouth, Hey, you who's doing the shouting, you who's doing the complaining and grumbling, he's getting his attention, friend. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree? Didn't you agree with me for the usual daily wage? He starts by reminding him, you haven't been harmed. You can't play the victim here because you've been paid a fair wage. At the beginning of the day, when that first group came out and they were waiting on work and somebody picked them up at at the very beginning of the day, if you had told them then that they would make a denarius that day, they'd have been happy. But somehow something has changed and the vineyard owner reminds them, hold on, you're not a victim in this scenario. You've been paid just like I told you I would pay you. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? The vineyard owner says, look, not only are you not a victim in this scenario because you have been paid, but I have the money and I choose, I can choose how I want to give it in whatever way I want to choose. You hear the generosity coming out. He says, this is not your place, friend, to be angry over receiving what you were promised while these folks were given something as a gift. This is not your place. I am so generous is what he is trying to help these workers to see. And then he says this, notice by the way, just real quick, notice by the way, that the language of deserved or earned has no place in the gospel lexicon. Notice that the the vineyard owner here is not giving based on who has deserved or earned the most. He's giving based on what he wants to do. It's not about earning or deserving. It's about the one who is giving. And then he finishes, Jesus finishes the parable by saying this. This is the last thing that the landowner says. Or are you envious because I'm generous? Are you envious because I am generous? And that's a fascinating little phrase. It's a fascinating little phrase because in the, in the Greek, it says something more like, is your eye evil because I am good? Which I love that little turn of phrase. Is your eye evil because I am good? The evil eye in the ancient world was one that, um, one that was um, 
uh, covetously envious, right? It was a self-centered, it was defined by a self-centered kind of envy. The evil eye in the ancient world looks at the world through the lens of me and mine. Everything that the evil eye sees belongs to me. That's what the evil eye is. And so they are blinded. This is what the landowner really is asking. Uh, Are you blinded by self-centered envy? Right? They can't see the need in this last group of workers. This group of workers who's been left on the side of the road all day and their family is waiting at home for them to bring home sustenance, for them to bring home nourishment. They can't, this first group of workers can't see the need in that, in that last group of workers. Right? These workers can't see that they too have been given a gift They can't see it because they're blinded by the evil eye that looks out and claims everything in the world for themselves, right? This this first group of workers is blinded. They can't see the generosity of the vineyard owner. They can't see any of it. They're blinded by all of it. They're blinded to all of it because the evil eye warps the blessings of others into personal offense. I want to say that one more time. The evil eye warps the blessings that others receive and experience into a personal offense. Because if the eye can see it, it belongs to me. And if it belongs to me, it doesn't belong to you. That's how it warps our vision. See, this isn't the complaint of the unjustly paid. This isn't the complaint of the underpaid. It's not the complaint of the unpaid. This is the complaint. This grumbling that we hear about in this parable is the complaint of the justly paid who can't tolerate grace in their world. They can't tolerate that other people might be blessed because if other people are blessed, that's something that could have belonged to me. And this ends up being a crucial problem. This is a crucial problem for Peter who's sitting around thinking, man, I was the first one to the vineyard. What great gift, what great payment am I about to collect on? And Jesus is reminding Peter, that's not what we do here. This is an amazing temptation. In fact, it's a, it's a crucial challenge for the Pharisees in this age because they think that, they've followed, that because they've followed the rules so long that they have earned more of God's favor than anybody else around. And unfortunately, this is also... A tremendous temptation for those who are in the church even today, because we tend to think that because we are God's special ones, we are loved more. And that leads us into a posture of judgment. We judge the people who are late to the party. We judge the people who aren't even coming towards the party because we think we got here first. And so it's ours. The truth is, I don't think God cares nearly as much about who was first to the vineyard as he cares about going back to the street corner time and again, hour after hour at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., all day. I think what God cares about is going back and finding people who are standing and wondering whether anybody cares that they're starving. I think what God cares about 
is bringing people to the vineyard where they will find meaning and purpose and value and worth, where they will find nourishment and sustenance. I think this is what God cares about. He cares about giving so generously that there is always enough for all who come. And that's why I think we've, we've named this parable incorrectly. If you look in your Bible right now, I would bet that, that there's a little uh, paragraph heading above this parable that says the, the parable of the vineyard workers or maybe the laborers of the vineyard. But this parable isn't really about them. It's not really about the workers. This parable is about the owner. A better title would be the parable of the incredibly, fantastically, unimaginably generous and compassionate vineyard owner. It doesn't have quite the same ring but I think it might be a little more accurate because this parable is about a God who gives and gives and gives. Ibn Al-Tayyib was an 11th century scholar and he said it this way. He said that in the gospel, salvation through Jesus Christ is open to Simeon who holds the baby Jesus in the temple at the beginning of his life. And salvation through Christ is open to the thief on the cross who believes at the end of Jesus's life. It doesn't matter whether you're first to the vineyard or last to the vineyard. The first should be last and the last shall be first. The way Jesus chooses to end this parable is by saying, um, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He reverses the order of that phrase. At the end of chapter 19, he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. At the end of this parable, he says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The parable just ends rather abruptly like that. I had a mentor one time um, who talked about scripture like this. He said, look, scripture is like a window on a train. And as you are riding on that train, you can look out through that window at the passing countryside. You can see things that are close. You can see things that are far. Scripture is like that. It's the window through which we see the entire world. But at certain unpredictable times, right, without warning, that train will go through a tunnel. And what was a window instantly becomes a mirror, And we see not the outside world, but we see ourselves. I think at the end of this parable, when Jesus says the last shall be first and the first shall be last, at the end of this parable, when there is no ending, when we don't know whether the workers are are gonna uh, continue grumbling and continue shouting and continue complaining and whining, or if they're going to be grateful for all that they've been given, for the generosity that they've received and rejoice with their fellow workers who have been blessed by this gift, when we don't know, I think this window through which we see the world instantly becomes a mirror. And I think we're intended to see ourselves in this. And we're intended to finish the parable for Jesus. And the question then for all of us is whether we are going to continue grumbling. Are we going to continue looking at the world with that evil eye that sees everything as belonging to me and mine? Or... But we live with a posture of gratitude and celebration that not only is there enough for me, but there is enough for all of us 
Not only is there enough of God's grace, love, and hope for me, but there is enough of God's grace, love, and hope for the entire world. How will we finish this parable?